And so this morning, I am uh, honored to be joined by Tiffany here. So Tiffany, would you introduce yourself? And uh, some, many people here know you well, and then many other people uh, don't have any idea who you are. So if you could just share a little bit about that. Um, well, I'm Tiffany Ellinger. I came to this church when I was like a little kid um, and came to youth group and everything like that and then kind of transitioned out and then came back when I was um, 19. And uh, I've essentially been attending this church kind of ever since, but four years ago I moved to Chicago um, and started attending uh, Moody Bible Institute. So I still call this church my home church. Um, but yeah, so I'm 200 miles away now, but it's kind of still home to me. That was very succinct. That's great. So what, can, you tell, that. can you tell the nice people what you're doing now? Um, so in Chicago, I was connected with a ministry called um, Inner City Impact, um, where the mission statement, and I always get part of it wrong, um, but it's to, um, we present the living Christ primarily to the unchurched inner city youth, um, and we disciple them and integrate them into local churches. And so we do that in a variety of different ways. Um, we do after-school clubs. We do Bible studies. We take the kids to church on Sunday. We have a bunch of 15-seater vans, and we just load them up and um, take them to church with us. Um, we have sports leagues, um, but we also um, do camp. And so when I was connected with the ministry um, about four years ago now, um, I had, had attended camp with them. And then um, this past December, I got the job opportunity of being their next camp coordinator. So that is what I'm kind of doing at the moment. At the moment, that's good. Well, if you know what you're doing at the moment, that's you're ahead of me. I don't know um, what I'm doing half the time. So, uh, so here's the part of the thing that for this week is we're talking about becoming like Jesus. And we intentionally said becoming like Jesus because it's a process of sanctification. It's not like you just emulate and say, okay, well, I see him do that. I'm going to do it. But there is an element of that in disciple making that we are to actually not just observe Jesus and listen to him and hear his voice, which is what we talked about last week, but then to actually function as he functions, to, to just say, okay, well, now I'm going to follow you in this. And so, um, Tiffany, you, your, your life, as long as I have known you, and I've known you now for about six years, um, that as long as I've known you, your life has been very against the grain, it seems like. And um, so what you don't know about Tiffany, she said, I was sitting in my usual spot. So my earliest memories of Tiffany were as a high school student coming to church by herself every Sunday, sitting right there in the front row um, or the second row um, uh, with her Bible and just listening and taking it in. And, and though she um, did not have a lot of Christian community, she was just here every week faithfully. And I thought, who is this 17-year-old girl who is just faithfully here every week. And so I, I got to, so there's, there's that, that was a little bit against the grain um, as you finished up high school. Um, you then had against the grain, like when you had an opportunity to go over and do an awesome job over in Door yeah. County, where you get to basically raft and hike and- Kayak all day. Ca and yeah, that was your job. Only and, paid $200 for rent a month. And right, and instead you stayed great. here. Um, I don't know why. Yeah, to, well, yeah. <laughs> Neither do I, but I'm Well, glad. now I know why. So, right. So that's what I'm saying. And, and then you go to Chicago, and then you stick there when there are other things you could be doing. Why? why? Why do you think, as you look back, like, why have you, what has been the motivation to doing those things? Well, I think um, I shared a little bit of this with the youth group on Wednesday, but control has always been a really big thing for me, um, and wanting control and thinking I need to have it all the time. And so I think um, a big portion of 
where God's led me is like on purpose in challenging me to do the very things that I don't want to do or the very things that are not a part of my plan at all. Like moving to the um, city, moving to Chicago, one of the biggest cities in America, um, you could ask any of my family and friends growing up, I would have probably been the last person on the planet that you would have thought would have moved to a big city. Um, within the first 10 minutes of being there, I cried because it was so overwhelming and there were so many people. Um, but what those moments um, kind of forced me into, um, in a good way, was um, into humility and like letting God do whatever he was going to do and open the doors that he was going to open, um, even if it wasn't what I had exactly thought out. But some, almost, like all of it ends up being what I exactly needed. Um, and so like when I was supposed to go to Door County and kayak all day and be a guide and stuff like that um, and just kind of felt this push to stay home. I was able to like work with youth group and be so much closer to the girls that were in my group. Um, I was able to be like mentored by Christoph and Sarah um, and also by Max and Sharice Katzbeck as well. Um, but if I not, had not stayed home that summer, I also wouldn't have been encouraged to go to college um, at Moody. And so there's like so many different things that like I see that um, I had not planned out at all. Um, things did not go the way I wanted them to go, um, but it was exactly what I needed, and God changed my heart um, to desire those things and to really love where he has placed me. Um, and so, like, the unique opportunity to be camp coordinator for this organization is, like, I get to combine how I grew up in the Northwoods, doing camping and hiking. Like, my dad could tell you million stories about how I went hiking by myself and got lost and almost drowned and all this fun stuff. Um, but I can combine that experience and then the inner city that I've grown to love and the kids that I've grown to love that I've worked with for the past couple of years. And so, like, God kind of just, like, opened that door to do that. But if you had asked me five years ago, oh, are you going to move to the city and are you going to do ministry? I 100% would have told you no. So I hope that, I hope you caught, I mean, part of what she said there was gold. Um, this idea that what God has in store for us is better than what we think we want and how he shaped your desires around that and how incredible it is is it that you this outdoors girl that wants to always be outside and doing all these activities or whatever God calls you into a place where you there's none of that like you yeah. literally I don't think you can go kayaking on the Chicago River downtown. you actually can but oh. it costs a lot of money right so yeah, a it's lot not, of money it's, it's a little yeah it's um, and that God would then use that still because he knew exactly what he was doing so um let me ask you this. One other question as you kind of think about that, which is super helpful. But then when it comes to like the day-to-day, -day, like you're doing this ministry in inner city, um, working with some kids who just come from very challenging backgrounds a lot of times. And um, how do you, what does it mean to you, the idea of what does it look like to obey Jesus and to watch him and to follow him in how he goes about things um, because you already talked about how, how he would call you to go about things as far as making decisions about where do I move, where am I going to spend my summer, where am I going to, like, what job am I going to take? Um, what does it look like to trust him in that and to believe that he has something better for you if he's calling you to do something else? What does that look like in a day-to-day -day, um, ministry context when you are probably constantly in very difficult circumstances where maybe the way that Jesus would call you to function and minister is not the way the world would, would necessarily, or even the church world would necessarily see as the way to go? Um, I, think, I think a lot of it just comes in like being consistent with like, um, with being in the word, with being, you know, a part of a group of believers and having people that constantly encourage me um, is a huge portion of being able to obey because 
if I don't know what's in his word, then I don't know what I'm doing when I'm like trying to obey. Um, and so being able to follow him and like, even though things are mundane, um, I think like looking at the ministry of Jesus, like there was a lot of moments when it was, um, he just taught really, really consistently. And I'm like, imagine that his disciples were following him. were like, why are we doing this again? Like, why are we stopping in this other town? And why are we like serving all these different people? And why are you going to serve these people? Like, why are you touching the leper? And like, um, why are you allowing this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years to touch you? And why are you healing these children that really nobody ever um, cared about? And so I think a huge portion of it is that obeying Jesus is easier when you're encouraged by his life and depending upon the Holy Spirit to be able to do what he, to do what he has called you to do. Um, and so a huge part of that is just knowing that, like, God has placed me where he has placed me for a reason, and he has opened a million doors that should not have been opened. Um, he has provided for me in ways that I should not have been provided for um, that are, like, clearly um, that even though when I do mess up and when I'm not obeying and when I'm doing my own thing, um, that he always directs my path. Like, I have this image, not necessarily, like, trying to um, have an idol or, like, have an image of God or whatever that's not correct, but there's this uh, kind of idea in my head that, like, God's like this this father that is kind of like holding me back a little bit and I'm just kind of like running full force at him, um, trying to like push past him and like trying to be like, no, like we need to like do this. We need to keep going. We need to like keep pushing. Like that's what I want. And he just is like chilling, like waiting for me to stop. And then I finally stop because I'm tired. I'm like, God, like why am I so tired? Like why is this so discouraging? Why is it like this? He's like, can I, can I talk for a minute? Like you good? Um, and I'll be like, oh, okay, cool. So like that's a huge, I feel like it's kind of like, um, what uh, Penny said last week is just, like, it's this constant of, like, I feel myself, like, walk away, but then it's almost, like, always, like, God draws me back because I need him more. So, I don't know if that answers your question. I mean, is better than the answer to my question, but I think one thing that I just am hearing from you is just this consistency, because sometimes, you know, when we hear stories from missionaries, a lot of times we share our best stories. Like, you know, there's moments. They're of, not all good. Right, they're not me. all good. It's right. really mundane a lot of the times. Yeah, and so like what? what so that's in a good way. <laughs> so mundane would be. So just give me one. Give one help to people that are out here who are saying, "Okay, I get excited about this. I hear the messages, and even maybe in the first couple of weeks, you've you've journaled and you thought, okay, this is who I want to share the gospel with, or this is who I want to teach, and I want them to learn how to to follow Jesus. I want them to know God and His love." Um, but it didn't go the way they had it in their mind, and it didn't go the way that the illustration went, and it's, it's slower and harder, and um, just, it, how do you, what would you give for just encouragement from the, the life of Jesus, and just from the heart and character of Jesus um, that has helped you to, to stay in there in the midst of the mundane? Um, a huge part of that is just looking back and, like, looking and reflecting on God's faithfulness, because I think that's a huge part of, like, what um, scripture does for us is it reflects God, God's faithfulness over a huge portion of time and like throughout so many people's individual lives. Um, and so when things do start to feel mundane or like when things do seem to be like, why am I even doing this? Um, a huge part of what encourages me is looking back on not only what God has done in my life, but looking back on what he has done throughout scripture. Um, and so there are, there are so many moments, so many moments, especially when I sit down and take the time to reflect because I don't sit down and reflect very often. Um, cause I always feel like I need to be doing something, but when I get to sit down and like, think about everything that God has done in my life, so many of those moments are unexpected and so many of those blessings are unexpected. And so I think I've learned to, um, not necessarily expect the unexpected, 
but there's probably a movie titled that or something. Um, but I think it's more of like not having a ton of expectations in place. Um, and it, that almost sounds negative, but hear me out. So when I don't have um, a million expectations in place on how I want things to go or how I think things can go, um, and instead I kind of like am hands off and like, you know what, Lord, like whatever you want to do with this, I'm just going to follow. Um, there's so many more opportunities for gratefulness and for blessing when you actually get to see what God has done when you know that it's not something that you did, um, but it's something that you got to be a part of. Um, and so, yeah, I guess... A huge part of it is uh, one of my program head for youth ministry at Moody. Uh, his name is Bob McCray. He's great. He has ADHD, and so he's, like, all over the place all the time. But he's a brilliant man. Um, and one of the things that he told us for our graduation speech was um, that life and ministry owe you nothing, which sounded really interesting at first because um, I was like, what? What does that mean? Like, shouldn't we have expectations for how we should treat each other or how things should go and whatnot? But um, I was sharing with a friend the other day that – in the concept of hope, it's not the hope that we have like in the gospel and the everlasting hope that we have in Christ isn't on circumstances and it's not on temporary things. It's not on a, if this will happen or this might happen, but it's something that is so sure that we don't even like need to worry about that. Like we know for a fact that that hope is true and that hope is real um, and that hope is promised for us. Um, and so there's so many things in my life where I'm like, oh, I hope it turns out this way and I hope it turns out that way. Um, when in reality, like I can kind of just, like, leave it up to God and be like, you know what? At the end of the day, like, I am blessed to be a child of God. I am blessed to pour into these kids and to be able to share the gospel with them in circumstances where the gospel is not shining very bright. Um, and at the end of the day, when I kind of approach it with that mindset, I am that much more grateful for the good things that do happen. Um, and then when bad things happen or when nothing happens, it's more like, okay, God, like, I know you're still doing something even when it doesn't look like it. Because when you reflect, you'll be like, oh, like that's what you were doing there. I had no idea. So That's really good. Sorry, I, that I think kind of No, it's great. I, th I think that's, that's one of the greatest tensions that I've learned, too, in years of ministry is being expectant that God is working and actively. I'm, I'm, I have a high expectations that God is working, but I have to always check when I'm trying to dictate the terms of that working, that mm -hmm. it's supposed to look like this, this, or this, and that's where a lot of my discontent has come in, as opposed to just realizing he's always working in our midst, and that even the fact that we get to do any of this. So. Even in spite of us. Like, I have done so many stupid things that God has just not worked around, but even used. Um, like, even yeah. working in the inner city, like when Christoph took us to Milwaukee a couple years ago, Kelly, and we took a whole group, and we were in charge of girls. I had a miserable week. I was a leader, and I was like, this is, mission trips are supposed to be great. You're supposed to have so much fun and be encouraged so much. And I was just, I was just down the whole week. I got sick. Um, and then I was like, I never want to do anything like that again. And then, like, five months later, I'm placed in the inner city with inner city kids again. And I was like, seriously? And now... I'm living there. <laughs> so it's like, okay, that's kind of funny. But I had no idea back then. Like, I for sure thought, never am I yeah. doing that ever again. And now that's exactly where God placed me. So, Well, I really appreciate you being here and taking time. If you guys don't know, we, we support Tiffany. She's one of our missionaries. She's one of our homegrown missionaries that we've sent out. Like, we have the Daldings up there who are homegrown missionaries that we've sent out. And so um, we, we support her and um, it's, it's our joy to do so. In, in the years that I've known her, she is um, a person who has clearly been listening to the voice of God and has demonstrated over and over again that she's really hearing from him. And um, so it's always exciting when um, you are all excited about something you think God's calling you to do. And most, it, 
typically pans out. You're like, yeah, that, that we, we just affirm that. And so um, you've just been a huge blessing to this church family, a huge blessing to many of us um, personally. So thank you for, for sharing. You're welcome, Jay. Good morning, family. My name is Robbie, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Faith. And uh, I get to continue our series that we are calling Basics, where we're kind of breaking down to the fundamentals of what it means to be a follower of Jesus so that both we can grow in our ability to do that and in our delight in that, but also so that we know how to help others to do that because we're supposed to be disciples that make disciples. And so we are trying to simplify, to just break it down to, if you can just share these things with someone else, uh, then you're doing the thing. So it's not, it's not having, you don't need to have a PhD, a, a doctorate in, in ministry or theology. You just need to know these basics, these, these simple facts of what it means to follow Jesus and how to do that. And so we're continuing that. Turn to Romans chapter 8 this morning, please. Romans chapter 8. And as you're turning there, um, I've, I've had uh, two people now confront me, say that in the first two weeks, Jay and I failed to communicate what the third big idea was, that we gave you this blank to fill out, and we never told you what the answer was. Well, Jay mentioned in the first week, you're supposed to come up with that one. That idea there, that blank is there. We give you two big ideas to say, hey, if you, know, if you catch anything, catch these things. That third blank there is for you, since this is a tool for you to both uh, grow in your understanding of interacting with God, but also to know how to share it with someone else. As you're listening to these sermons, we want you to go, man, this really stood out to me. You know, oftentimes someone will come up to us after a sermon and say, well, how come you didn't make this the main point? I'd be like, because I didn't know that's exactly what the Spirit needed you to know. Like, that was your main point, evidently. So we give you a couple of freebies there, but then that one is for you as you're listening, as you're praying, as you're processing over the course of the week, and you think, man, this thing that he said, or this thing that came out in the Word, that is, was really impactful to me. That's what that blank is for, for you to fill that in so that you know how to encourage, that, that, how the Holy Spirit is encouraging you personally and, and things that you would want to communicate to others. Does that make sense? Awesome. All right. So let's get cranking. We've got a little ground to cover, and uh, I don't have much time. Romans chapter 8. This week we are talking about becoming like Jesus, and so we're starting with, uh, with this passage of Paul's. And starting in verse 28, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So there's a lot going on. In these two verses here, and so we're gonna. I gave you a little cheat sheet. We're gonna ask a couple questions, and uh, and here's your cheat sheet for you. Okay, so here's the deal: uh, what things? All there you go. Okay, like two of you. All things. That's right. All things. All things worked for what? For good. That's right. All things work together for good. For who? 
For those who love him and for those who are called. That's right. It kind of groups in these two. Those who, those who love him. Those who, are, who have been called to him. And they are called by and for what? His purpose. That's right. His purpose. God calls people to the purpose that he has determined for them, for us. We don't come to him on our own terms with our own list of demands Right? Our own expectations of how he should operate and how we should follow him. He calls us on purpose to be a part of his plan and his purpose. And what is his purpose for us? Thank you, Paul. He goes ahead and answers that for us. So for, as he's continuing on the same thought, for he is working, he's working all things for the good of those he has called. For those he foreknew, which just means knows beforehand, Right? Those he called according to his purpose, he predestined, which means determined beforehand, to what? Be conformed into the image of his son, to be sculpted into the shape of Jesus. Those he called, he, the, the, the good that he is working out. You see that good when he says he's working all things for the good of those who trust in him? That good that he is working out in us is the purpose that he has laid out for us, that he determined for us, and that purpose is that we would be formed into Jesus. That's the whole point of all of this. That God would form us into Jesus. And I love that so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So that he would have a whole bunch of siblings that look just like him. I don't know. I think that's kind of a fun way to put that. Um, so we belong to Jesus, right? That's where we covered the first week. We belong to Jesus. God, through the gospel, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, has adopted us into his family. And if you are in Christ, then you are not your own. And the extraordinary thing that he accomplishes in that is he makes these two unbelievable things possible. That we would be able to be with Jesus, not at some future date, but right now. We could be with Jesus right now and also forever. And that we would become more and more like him. Jesus is our teacher, we talked about last week. And we follow him, we trust his words above everyone else's words. And it is the Father's intention, what he declares is his intention for us, is that we would obey just like Jesus obeyed, that we would desire what Jesus desires, that we would love just like Jesus loves so much that it would be difficult to tell us apart from him. That's why people outside the church began calling them Christians. Right? We didn't, the church didn't come up with that name that was actually a derogatory term that people outside of the church started calling followers of Jesus. Like, oh, look at Jesus Jr. over there, little Jesus, trying to be just like him. Because they could see you're trying to act just like this guy all the time. Because they were being formed into the image of him. So we cooperate with God as he makes us think and love and act more and more like Jesus. And ultimately, his purpose for the world, the purpose that he has for us is the exact same means that he accomplishes his purpose for the world. So to kind of paraphrase um, Dallas Willard, 
We are to invade a failing and futile humanity with his person, his word, and his power. And our role is to bring the king into every corner of human life simply by living with him and being like him. That's, that's what we exist for. That's what he created us for. That's what he saved us for. To bring him everywhere as we live with him and live like him. And far too often in the church, I encounter people who are genuinely surprised by the idea that Jesus intended for us to actually do the things that he taught us and think the things that he encouraged us to think. In fact, I'm hearing more and more voices of people who are literally preaching, doing what Jesus taught is the wrong way to practice Christianity. That should strike us as super weird. On what basis would you call Jesus Lord if you don't believe what he says or do what he told you to do? And don't hear that as a challenge for me. I don't want you to listen to my opinion. I don't want you to weigh my opinion against other people's opinions. I want you to trust the truth statements of our Jesus. I want you to hear what he says and believe what he tells us. And what he tells us is why would you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That doesn't make sense. Now, it's important to understand Jesus is not taking a swipe at people who are actively seeking him, actively following him, making effort with, with all their grace-driven effort into trying to obey him but fail every day. That's not who he's speaking to. Who he's speaking to, this is a cautionary question to those who have little or no intention of actually doing what he said. He's warning us when we are tempted to explain away why Jesus didn't mean what he really said and why he obviously doesn't expect us to literally do what he told us to do because that would be ridiculous. It's to that mentality that he's saying, well, if you think that, then why would you pretend I'm your Lord? We talked about last week how easy it can be to listen to the disciples' words and examples rather than to Jesus, even when they're directly contradicting one another. And we go, well, but I tend to agree more with this one, and so that must be right, as Jesus is going, I, no, I said the opposite of that. It is it's so important for us, church, to remember that part of this process what God intends for his people is to actually live and think and love like Jesus. That is the mission, that is the goal, that is the end of your salvation for his glory and our joy. And again, it is not my words that I want you to hear. I want you to hear Jesus' words. What he tells us in John is, For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Watch my life because this is an example of how I also want you to live in relation to God and relation to others. I'm giving you an example. And then his followers who are following closely and pointing us back to, hey, remember what Jesus said. Don't forget what Jesus said. 
Both John and Peter tell us, they say, whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And Peter reminds us, same thing, for, for to this you were called. Because, oh, no, it's a typo. Sorry about that. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example so that you might follow in his steps. The Father's intention for us, his predetermined purpose for us is that we would act like Jesus. We would listen to what he tells us and we would actually do those things for his glory and for our good. And then Jesus again says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And so if the voices you are hearing are saying, you don't have to listen to Jesus, that is someone who Jesus says, they don't love me. If they're teaching you, don't, don't, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't understand the context. He didn't really intend for you to do that thing. Jesus himself just says, that person does not speak for me, that person does not love me, and that person is not at home with my Father. Because anyone loves me keeps my word, and my Father will love him. There are aspects of following Jesus that we can't participate in and there are aspects of following Jesus that we must participate in. So the first week, Jay talked about how God makes sinful people his own through the gospel. The beautiful reality that Jesus died the death that we deserve to die and then refused to stay dead so that he would conquer sin in our hearts, he would conquer our selfishness, he would conquer Satan entirely and invite us into this incredible relationship by adopting us into his family. We play less than no role in that. I, I, I contribute nothing to that aspect of it. The only thing, that's not true. I contribute the sinful rebellion that makes it necessary to save me. That's my contribution. To my salvation. I made the mess that Jesus then has to clean up on my behalf. I don't help him. I don't go most of the way and Jesus like helps me over that last little tough spot. Like he does all of it and says, you're mine. And I have finished the work. It is entirely accomplished. It is done. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of any kind of works that we can accomplish. However, this opens the door to something new and something better. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? So our works do not get us in But he has created us and saved us in order to do these things, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He lays these things out for us. Remember, this predetermined plan. So this is in the church, this is a word that we call sanctification. So there's salvation, there's sanctification. Sanctification is a fancy Bible word that means to be made holier, to be set apart. And what Paul says, what that literally means is to be made to look more and more and more like Jesus, who is the only perfectly holy being ever. Ever. 
So we contribute nothing to our salvation. That is Jesus' work and his work alone. We must be active participants in our sanctification, in God's purpose of us becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what the rest of the New Testament is all about. Here's how to live in this life that God has created for. This is who you are because of Jesus. And now this is how to live in light of who you are. And so he lays out, we must work to put off the old self and put on the new self. He says that in in Colossians 3. We must work to put to death what is sinful and culturally influenced in us. In Romans 6 and 8 and Colossians 3 and Galatians 5, right? You're not expected to write all these down. If you want them later, I'm happy to give them to you. We put on Christ, right? We don't just put off our sin. We then put on Christ, he says in Galatians chapter 3. And then we must walk by and live by and be led by the Spirit of the living God who reminds us, we talked about last week, reminds us of who Jesus is and what he said and what he did rather than by our own desires in Galatians 5. And the reality is this process never ends for eternity. Right? A lot of us think like, oh, once we get to heaven, then I'll know everything. Spoiler alert, you don't become omniscient in eternity. You don't become God in eternity. We're just going to spend eternity delighting and constantly growing in knowing more and more and more and more and more about him in a limitless eternity. An ever-increasing delight and joy in growing in this thing that cannot ever possibly be exhausted. It never ends. I have never done enough. I never look enough like Jesus to call it. And please hear, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that to make it sound hopeless or to be discouraging. Quite the contrary. It is, it is meant to be a helpful and loving reminder on one side to, to those of us who tend towards pridefulness or self-satisfaction or self-righteousness or, or laziness on the other side of that. It's a reminder that we still have so far to go. Because my goal is not, am I doing better than the people around me, but do I look exactly like Jesus yet? So I've got a ways to go. And for those of us who feel discouraged and beaten down and like, oh gosh, I can never, I'll never get there. To remember that it is our Heavenly Father who says, but this is my plan for you. I've, I've laid it all out. I am with you in this. I'm really doing all most of the work for you. I'm doing pretty much all of it. I'm just asking you to participate in the work that I am doing in you. I am the one who's carrying you toward this goal. And when we, we can still, even knowing that in our heads, we can still think, that just sounds impossible. That expectation is just far too much. It's too much to bear. And I would just encourage us and remind us that based on what Jesus says, the reality is that as Jesus explains it, it is doing it our way that is too much for us. We do not feel burdened and crushed because we are doing it Jesus' way. We feel burdened and crushed because we are trying to do it our way under our own power. Something that was never, we were never meant to do something that will never succeed. We are burdened, we are worn out, we are discouraged, we are overloaded, we are filled with fear from without and within. Sometimes just fear that I'll, just, I'll never be good enough for God. We feel all those things 
because we are doing it our way and under our own power. Just like Tiffany said, I'm exhausted because I'm pushing against God, trying to do what I think I'm supposed to do as God's just going, can you, can you stop? Are you ready yet? Are you ready to listen? Are you ready to let me handle this? What our Jesus tells us is come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, which means my teaching, my way of life. Take my teaching and my way of life upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember what we talked about last week, right after Jesus says the only way to abide in him is to actually obey the things that he tells us, he adds, I tell you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full, may be complete. Jesus is offering the better way. His way is the better way. He is the better way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Church, if my way was going to work, it would have worked by now. If your way was going to work, it would have worked by now. Jesus meets us right in our messes and speaks into them with gentleness and compassion. Are you ready to trust me now? Will you let me carry that for you now? Will you trust me when I say these are the ways to freedom and joy and peace? That what I mean is those are the ways to freedom and joy and peace. There is no other means of getting there. Will you listen to me now? Will you lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely? Like when my son, when my six-year-old boy says, I can do it, Dad. I think, oh, I didn't realize you knew how to change an oil filter in a 2013 Honda Civic. Okay, buddy, give it a shot. And he'll like grab a screwdriver, bend over and go, Ah, I can't do it. Can you help me, Dad? Sure, buddy. And then I set him up next to me, and I go, okay, can you hand me that tool? Yeah, he hands me the tool. And we do it, and we do it together. I'm doing pretty much all of it. But we're doing it together. And we both delight in doing it together. Why would we think our Father has any less delight? <laughs> delight is only greater and more pure when we finally go, I can't do it. Can you do this with me? And he goes, yeah, let's, come on, daughter. Come on, son, let's, 
Let's do this together. And even though we all know he's doing all the work, we get to participate in that joy together. Really, the only difference between me and my son is it takes him about four seconds to realize he is in over his head. A hilariously short amount of time where it takes me years, sometimes decades, where I just keep trying. No, 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 I got this. No, no, if I just try harder, if I just do better, if I just do it my way, and I look at my heart and my life and my family and my culture and my country and I wonder why am I not seeing the things that Jesus promised we would see if we follow him? Why does it seem like things are getting worse instead of getting better? And the better question for me to ask myself is how often am I doing things in my own way and expecting the results that only happen when I do them Jesus' way. Last week we talked about listening to Jesus. It is time for us to now do what we have heard. To do what we saw him do, to cooperate with what he is doing right now. To do what he says in every context of my life. Understanding it's not going to be rational because my reason is shaped by this culture and my sinful heart. So of course it's going to push against that. It is not easy, but it is delightfully uncomplicated. It's not easy because everything in my heart and everything in culture is going to be pushing against me doing this. But he's... He's generally pretty straightforward in what he encourages us to, right? We can easily overcomplicate it, sometimes because we don't take Jesus at his word, and sometimes because subconsciously we've convinced ourselves, if I claim I don't understand it, then I can't be held accountable for ignoring it, right? Nope, that's not how that works. It is very straightforward. Read Matthew 5 through 7. And read it assuming what Jesus intends is that I would do this. Read John 14 through 17 with the mindset of Jesus expects me to believe this and then act like this. It shouldn't feel as foreign to us as sometimes it does, but we come up with all of these reasons why we don't have to do that when Jesus over and over and over and over again says, that's the only way. I have several examples. We only have time for one. Maybe we'll cover a couple more in the podcast. Um, But uh, one horrifyingly straightforward example that we've referenced multiple times around here, Jesus simply says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is maddeningly uncomplicated. All the ways that as soon as my mind starts going to all the whatabouts, what about these people? What about this person? What about that? What about this situation? Obviously, he can't possibly mean this obviously cannot be the best way to honor God Definitely is. 
definitely is. How do we know that? Because Jesus said it is. And he knows better than I do, better than you do. Jesus 100% knows the best way to follow Jesus, I promise you. So what he tells us it is, is what it is. And that is how we should live. And he even puts this in this context. I think Paul probably has this in mind when he puts this into the context. He says, you have heard it said. Remember last week when we talked about, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, remember last week we said, Jesus says, but I say to you over every aspect of our lives. Everything. So here he says, you have heard it say, hey, hate your enemies. They're the worst, right? But I say to you, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So you can be like me. That's his purpose is that you would be like me, that I would have all kinds of siblings. Remember, that's what Paul just told us in Romans. Believing Jesus involves listening to and actually doing what he says. And in this case, it means responding to those that you dislike, disagree with, or who have done you harm with compassion and with prayer. Unfortunately, it is as simple as it sounds. And when we try to complicate it in our own defense, that ends badly. He is saying, no, no, love them. Pray for them and then models a helpful example for us as the soldiers who are hammering rusty railroad spikes through his wrists and the religious leaders who should be his own supporters are spitting on his abused and mangled face, he responds by asking his heavenly Father for their forgiveness. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. So what he models for, he says, love your enemies like this. And then models a demonstration. He prays for their forgiveness. I, I can hardly wrap my brain around not like in hindsight, as the hammer is swinging, Jesus' response is, Father, don't give them your justice. Give them your mercy, please. So like that, in every context. And please, please hear Jesus' posture toward you is not, well, I could handle being mercilessly tortured and then murdered in naked public humiliation, so you should be able to handle your situation. That is not his posture toward us. Based on everything that I read about him in Scripture, hear from people who follow him and love him closely and, and can attest to from my own personal experience, his posture toward us is, I know this hurts. 
I know. And I am so sorry. What happened to you is not okay. And I grieve with you. I know and understand more than you understand. More than you would ever hope to believe that I could. I understand because I have been there and in even darker places. I have come through to the other side and I want you on this side with me. I love you too much to leave you where you are. I want you to be here through it. I'm the only way through it. So please come, come with me. And we immediately come up with all the reasons why this can't be, this can't be appropriate, this can't be the best way to obey Jesus or honor the Father in this situation or that situation. Jesus again in his love just says, my dear heart, do, do you truly believe that anger and hatred and bitterness and division, and gossip, and slander, and violence, and unforgiveness eating away at your soul is the better way? I have so much more for you. So much more for you. It promises us loving God is to keep his commandments as his commandments are not burdensome. Because what Jesus is not offering us is more rules and more regulation. What he is offering us is freedom. His commands are life and they are joy. They are not heavier burdens, but they are the means of setting us free from the control of fear and pain and people and what they have over our hearts and, all, and, and of our lives. That unforgiveness controls you. That anger, that hatred toward that person or that party or that, those people or that whatever it is, is enslaving you. And Jesus is saying, no, I, I want to set you free. I want to lift the burden off of you, not heap heavier ones on you. You must believe him when he says these things and seek to actually do the things that Jesus told us to do so that we can become who the Father intends for us to be because that is how he is working out our good. Following Jesus, following his words and his examples, are not, it's not one way of honoring God. Jesus says it is the only way to follow his example and to live and love just like he lived and loved. And Paul in Romans, in that first verse we started in, reminds us that becoming like Jesus is the very purpose that God declared for us before creation was even a thing. I want to live in this purpose. And I want to do it together, church. We have to do it together. There's no other way. We can't do it on our own. And if all of this feels very overwhelming and you don't even know where to begin, my encouragement is start simple. 
If you have all kinds of questions of how to do this or how to do that, just start with the obvious ones. Just pick one to go, starting right there. And ask friends who are also trying to follow Jesus and look more and more like him to help you. We want to help you. That's why we're here. We want to help you to know and love and look more like Jesus. And as the worshiping team comes up and we, we wrap up, I just want to encourage you as we participate in walking in the rhythms that our Jesus modeled for us to do, and the Spirit continues to reshape our loves and our desires, and it becomes less and less like work and labor and more and more like just normal. As He reshapes our, our desires and our priorities into His desires and His priorities, then, then it turns out we're actually doing what we love, what we want to be doing because our Father is working out in us what we can't do on our, owns, on our own, the extraordinary good of sculpting our hearts, our minds, and our lives to look just like our Jesus. I want that, and I want that for us. Jesus, we know only you can accomplish that in us and through us. Father, we want to trust that that is your intention and that you do not set this as an impossible bar for us and then just expect us to do our best. But Spirit, you indwell in us and empower us to remind us of who Jesus is, what he has accomplished on our behalf. So please, Spirit, protect our hearts and our heads from being defensive against your word. Spirit, please translate what are my, make my words forgettable and your words memorable. Because my words cannot transform, only yours can. Please protect us from this feeling like more law, more rules. That we would feel it as you intend for us to feel it, which is as a lifted burden, a lifted weight off of us. A joy, a delight to get to walk in your way and feel the peace that we see you living with, the confidence that we see you living with, the joy that we see you living with. I thank you that you do not leave us on our own, that you are with us every moment and that you provide a family like this one to live and love alongside. It's in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray. In your name alone that we trust.